The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special installment of Barron's Live. It's Ali Corum and David Saito Chung here of Investors Business Daily. And this month, we would like to focus our talk on lessons we can learn from the late IBD founder, Bill O'Neill, known for how he was able to handle some of the market's biggest winners in such a unique way, really being able to pinpoint those winners and buy and sell them at the at the right time. So pretty incredible learnings that we want to share here today, Dave. Oh, absolutely. Uh, good morning to you and uh, just welcome to the audience. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Absolutely. So Dave, to kick us off, we're going to be digging into five examples of Bill O'Neill's biggest winners throughout uh, the last couple of decades or more. Go, we're going <laughs> to rewind the clock, go back on the calendar uh, many, many years and uh, progress through time. But let's lay the foundation first uh, to keep in mind as we're looking at these charts, uh, what we really can learn. What are those core lessons to share and to keep in mind as we peel back the layers with some examples. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as you said, Ali, the, the backbone of today's webinar will be focused on the charts, but not only on the charts. It will really, uh, we, we hope, help unveil uh, so-called secrets uh, behind, behind how Bill O'Neill, uh, who passed in late May at the age of 90, how he f discovered these amazing winners that produce triple digit percentage gains in a relatively short period of time. Uh, these are the examples are not swing trades. Uh, they're not one month or two month trades, uh, but these lasted uh, 52 to, you know, uh, 52 weeks to maybe a year and a half. Uh, and we're going to look at why he found these companies. Uh, what were the measures that were critical uh, in addition to then homing in on the buy points the follow-on entry points, and eventually good sell uh, signals. Yeah. And so one of the key things is to buy what you know, right? Uh, mm -hmm. There's so many opportunities all around us, you know, couple of just current examples, even though they've been around for a little while, uh, Apple, Google, you know, these are products that we know and love and, and use every day and are, and are widely used by all. Maybe even something more uh, relevant to the current market mm -hmm. is this prospect of artificial intelligence and so right. many companies trying to harness the power of AI. So we know that this is something that is impacting companies, uh, individuals, uh, the world even. So there are opportunities for us in terms of investments if mm -hmm. we focus on buying what we know and what we're seeing around us. Uh, exactly. Hit it right on the nail there, Allie. And Bill often said in, in the newsroom or at webinars or in live uh, shows, uh, you know, with, with IBD readers that uh, you're really looking for the companies that are going to change the way we work, the way we live, or the way we receive uh, entertainment uh, and better our lives, make our lives more enjoyable. Uh, so, you know, we've selected five companies that reflect all of that. Uh, we just talked about that first of what I'd like to count as seven points uh, to help all of us on this webinar find those uh, great Bill O'Neill stocks. Uh, so invest in what you know, invest in something that you see, experience, can buy, and, 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 and really judge for yourself, is this a great product or service? Uh, the second uh, point is kind of related to that. It's like, look for something brand new, something that's uh, either a new, a new company with a brand new type of device or service based on technology uh, or is creating a new market. And in addition to new, which is one of those seven principles for finding great IBD style stocks, you want the stocks to have uh, maybe 
uh, you know, companies that are hitting new highs uh, in the stock market, uh, maybe new management that is really turning uh, things around, uh, and relatively new companies, ones that have gone public in the past three to eight years. Uh, for a long time, you know, I joined IBD in 1999, and we we've always covered. Uh, a lot of companies that were just recently public. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, like Cabo, which went out uh, in a market yesterday, right? Uh, it, it, it can be a while. It could be even a couple of years before uh, the profits really start to come in for the investor uh, and the profits come in and the sales come in for the company. But investing in something new, that's the second uh, very important point. Mm -hmm. And we've got a couple more that we want to hit on before we dig into the examples. So yeah. uh, companies with big markets, talk to us about the importance of that. We, you know, we know yeah. that strong earnings and sales growth are key to finding big winners. And you have to have a big addressable market if you're going to get that big booming sales growth figure or the earnings numbers too. Exactly. Addressable market. Uh, you know, in Wall Street, they have this... Uh, acronym called TAM, Total Addressable Market. Look for those with giant total addressable markets, those that uh, really can become uh, a product, uh, a service for the masses. So uh, when, we, when we look at today's stocks from Chrysler to Syntex to Price Club, which eventually became Costco, uh, clearly they weren't fishing in sm some little small pond. Uh, they were really going for oceans of customers. Right. And I guess if you really want to supercharge your performance, Dave, you need to have a fairly concentrated portfolio. You're not going to get a triple digit gain if you're just in the in the S&P 500 or in tons and tons of stocks. So when Bill O'Neill found these sort of rare jewels, I guess you could mm -hmm. say, and had that conviction, he position sized appropriately to ride that wave. Oh, well, well said, uh, Ali. I think uh, it's important for people to know if they've never read or, or heard about Bill O'Neill. He was the youngest person in 1963 to buy a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. He was just only 30 years old. He was a broker at Hayden Stone in Los Angeles, and he couldn't get that successful by buying 100 stocks. He bought, I mean, he probably bought hundreds in stocks uh, and, and got out of ones that weren't working very well very quickly, uh, cut his losses quickly. But basically, the profits of two major companies, Chrysler and Syntex, uh, plus a short sale, helped him really stand out in 1962 to 63. And that produced the capital for him to then launch his own equity research company with an institutional brokerage, uh, William O'Neill and Company. Uh, first by buying that seat in 63 and then opening his company in Los Angeles in 65. So absolutely, you, uh, you, know, you really have to think about putting as much money over time in your best winners. Uh, in other words, right, uh, water your flowers. Don't water the weeds in your garden. Mm -hmm. you, want, you want to take those weeds out quickly uh, and allow with the primary purchase and the secondary and the tertiary purchases and holding at the appropriate time, allowing those, ga those gains to com compound. Uh, uh, we'll finish this point by saying that it was often built writing in uh, a book, The Successful Investor, as well as saying on stage that diversification uh, is usually an excuse for ignorance. So. We, you know, we don't, we don't mean putting all of, you know, uh, betting the ranch, so speaking, just one stock all at once at the same time. But in general, uh, we found uh, through research that if you cut your losses uh, uh, appropriately, you can have six to 10 stocks in your portfolio and do very well uh, in a good market. Right. And this sort of leads into our next point very well, I think, because if you are going to stay on top of a mega winner, mm -hmm. you need to be able to do your research and focus. So that concentration is quite helpful because with new products that are coming out or CEO commentary or, you know, really digging into the quarterly reports, it takes a lot of research to right. build that conviction and to pinpoint the timing for these stocks as well. So mm -hmm. that those go hand in hand, I think. 
Oh, totally, Ali. And in terms of research, that, that involves looking at the chart. The chart is uh, mm -hmm. really an evaluation of the stock's strength or weakness, the stock's action versus the S&P 500. And we're also looking at fundamental. Uh, is the company growing fast now? Has it had a, a record of uh, above average top and bottom line growth? And are the estimates going forward also rosy? Uh, finally, what also made a game changer for William O'Neill and many, many thousands and thousands of other IBD readers is the acknowledgement that the real money moving is coming from the institutions. So fund managers, pen, you know, mutual funds, pensions, college endowments, foreign governments, sovereign wealth funds, on and on and on, banks, and investing, corporation, investing departments of corporations. All of these institutions really can make or break uh, a, a stock in the long run. So uh, it's important to not just uh, buy anything off the seat of your pants or you know, just uh, 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 impulsively. You have to prepare. Uh, preparation is everything. Mm -hmm. Great detail there. And speaking of details, that's the next point that we want to make. It's all about those little details. And Bill O'Neill taught us that really dissecting the not, not only the fundamentals, but looking at the chart as well, mm -hmm. each price bar, where it closed, what the corresponding volume looked like, looking at the base structure week by week to uncover clues about where a stock is in its cycle. Does it have more room to run? Should you mm -hmm. be taking profits? Should you be adding to the position? And really getting yourself familiar with all those little details is critical to being able to hold a stock for a big move. Allie perfectly said, you, could I be the host and you be uh, the guest today? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. No, that, that, that was exactly what we we're talking about in terms of details. Uh, details regarding uh, the growth of the company, uh, products, its competition, uh, knowing what risks are out there. You know, uh, if a company has been growing so fast and fast and expectations on Wall Street get a little too overblown, well, you got to be ready for that. You got to be ready to uh, respond to that or avoid that kind of uh, uh, sort of landmine, if you will. So clearly details uh, is part of uh, is a huge part of the game. And we're definitely going to cover some of these. We really hope that uh, the examples will provide some nuggets of, uh, you know, uh, light bulb uh, like moments for everyone here so that they can make really great decisions uh, going forward. And finally, that the seventh tip, you know, so let's review the first one, obviously buy what you know, you know, do, do your own research. Uh, don't trust others, you know, check out a company uh, Two, you know, think about get something new. Three, go for companies with big markets Four, uh, concentrate, not diversify. Five, do that research. Six, it's all about the details, details, details. But finally, the seventh one is, in a way, perhaps the most important one, Ali, and wow. it is your ego and your personality. And it's very, very important to always stay humble and modest and uh, don't uh, make decisions based on pride because you can easily be shaken out of a great stock and you refu refuse out of pride or ego not to buy it back when the conditions are now much better and let that stock, uh, you know, wave goodbye to you as it goes up, you know, 100, 200, 300%. I can tell you as an active uh, investor myself, 110%, 110% committed to the IBD investing philosophy that it's very important to understand that you can't be, you're not going to be perfect on every buy, but you can, you can be good. And part of that is uh, dusting yourself off if the market shakes you out and uh, recognizing that the stock is really showing that promising sign of, of being a big winner. Right. And I think on the other side of the coin, you know, if you've done all the research and you have all the conviction, if the stock is breaking down, you can't force the stock uh, to go higher. If you're wrong, you're wrong. You got to move aside. Don't let that ego get in the way. And that was Bill. He could change his mind instantly if he was presented with new information. And I think we can all learn from that because I think if we free up our brain space, then you know we'll be able to move on to the next big winner instead of getting hung up on stocks that maybe were working in the past but aren't working now. 
Absolutely. Well, um, I'm, I'm eager to now look at some of those examples. How about you? Let's do uh, it. <laughs> and we also are keeping in mind that a large portion of this audience is listening only. So as we go through these charts, we're really going to be painting the picture for you as we walk through these examples. So there are lessons to be learned, whether you are listening to this or watching this. So the first example that we want to be taking a look at, Dave, mm -hmm. is Chrysler. Uh, I think we're going to go with Chrysler, right. And uh, 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago, Bill O'Neill wrote a weekly column for the newspaper, How to Find America's Greatest Opportunities uh, in the Stock Market. And he noted uh, that Chrysler was his very first big winner, 1962. Uh, this stock, from its breakout point to its peak, up 215% in 52 weeks. Uh, you can see a lot of details here. This is exactly uh, the chart that accompanied his short column in the newspaper. Uh, you might want to even take a screenshot if you like, because there's so much detail, as you can see, regarding uh, how the stock set up its buy point. Uh, one thing that, uh, as, as you look at it, let me just uh, share a few uh, uh, sort of background items. One is that Bill O'Neill noted that in early 62, the stock market broke on the government investigation into the mutual fund industry. So we had a bear market in early 62. But then, as you can see with Chrysler, it came back uh, very nicely. Uh, six, I think six or seven up weeks uh, in heavy volume. Uh, and the heavy volume is, you can tell uh, by those arrows pointing down at the volume bars, uh, the blue volume bars, are, are blue because the stock was up for the week. Uh, the red volume bars show that it was down. Uh, it turned out that uh, the news was reported that the Love Brothers, who were uh, some very influential investors, they were accumulating Chrysler stock. Uh, William O'Neill bought the stock initially while it was forming that cup with handle, a base, a very, very important chart pattern that precedes uh, the big moves. He sold into um, that weakness uh, that formed a handle because uh, that's when the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, emerged. Um, but an agreement was made. Russia sent back its missiles uh, and decided not to deploy them in Cuba. Uh, and so you can see the stock then uh, had a, a marvelous breakout. That's where the buy uh, arrow is pointing to. Turns out that uh, at the time, too, Chrysler was turning around its fundamentals, two straight quarters of big earnings. They had hired a new car designer with uh, some winning designs that were winning in the market. Uh, and you can see uh, after shakeout stock closes mid-range, um, you know, in heavy volume, that's uh, what he liked to call heavy volume without further price progress down. And that was a sign that even though initially during that week in this weekly chart, Chrysler showed weakness, it proved strong in the end. That's very similar to what happens in bull markets. Weak, uh, weak opens and strong closes. So you can see after that breakout, 16 up weeks in a row, uh, a flat base formed, which is generally a consolidation of gains, a decline of no more than 10 to 15%, and then another buy opportunity here. So uh, if anything, this is a good example of a stock where you don't have to try to pick the low, wait for the the supply and demand equation to favor uh, the long side. Uh, finally, you can see there was two, there was a key sell uh, signal near the uh, initially around 50, uh, where the, he, he notes that uh, there was heavy volume um, with a price retracing uh, the prior two weeks. Uh, basically, you know, it wasn't really making a lot of uh, extra progress, even though the volume uh, was escalating. So uh, it, it, in other words, probably there was, just like at the end of the chart on the right-hand side, uh, people selling into that strength, capitalizing on that you kind of euphoric-like move after the stock already tripled. So uh, this was, uh, you know, what, as I said, a 215% 215 gainer in exactly a year. And it came out of the birth of a new bull market. You can see, right. yeah, I, I forgot to mention that. Yes, the follow through, uh, which uh, is our earliest and time tested signal that we likely are now uh, taking off the bear market clothing and putting on the bull market clothing. And uh, when that happens, the best stocks usually are ready to uh, roll into new high ground, break out and lead the market higher.
Mm -hmm. So great timing there to see a breakout on or around a follow through day because mm -hmm. our research shows that it's often those names that are first to emerge are going to be the big winners. So it's important to be there and put a little money to work. Exactly. Two more quick points here. You see uh, uh, near the volume bars, there are two two for one split uh, uh, symbols there. That shows that you don't have to necessarily, necessarily buy a stock that's cheap. At the actual breakout, Chrysler, uh, the pivot point, that pivotal breakout point was actually 58 and a half. So don't be scared uh, about a stock that's trading in the triple digits or even in the quadruple digits. It's uh, really the quality of the stock uh, and the quality of the action that matters, matters more. Uh, finally, uh, in that column, Bill noted that later uh, he talked to Jerry Tsai. Uh, Jerry Tsai was a star fund manager at Fidelity. He, he eventually ran his own shop. Uh, and turns out Jerry Tsai also bought at that same breakout. And so did Gerald Loeb, uh, one, of, uh, one of Bill O'Neill's uh, mentors, so to speak, a very, very famous stock and successful stockbroker who wrote The Battle for Investment Sur Survival. They talked about Chrysler and Gerald Loeb said, well, yeah, in fact, I bought shares right at that breakout too. So uh, I, I think that helped uh, reaffirmed uh, Bill, Bill's uh, thinking that, you know, the, these patterns, uh, which had, had existed before Chrysler's move, will continue on and on. Mm -hmm. Yes, we still see them today. And the next example that we want to take a look at is Syntex. And this is really exemplifying that new that mm -hmm. we want to see in stocks. So tell us go. more, yeah. Dave. Yeah, Very, uh, you know, the, the, the first uh, company to uh, successfully commercialize a birth control pill, uh, Panama-based uh, Panama company. Uh, and here again, we have another uh, Bill O'Neill column there. Uh, you, you, you can see that uh, the, the early buy, uh, I'm not, I don't think he actually bought shares there. He just noted that within that very, very deep cup-like base that that could have been a good entry point. That's not where he bought it. In fact, he bought it when it emerged out of a very rare stock chart pattern, the high tight flag. And uh, I don't have the how to make money in stocks uh, book next to me, but uh, he actually highlighted in that book six other stocks that served as historical precedents before Syntex's great breakout in July 1963. Let me quickly rattle them off here. Bethlehem Steel in 1915, American Chain and Cable 1935, E.L. Bruce in 1958, Zenith also in 1958, Universal Controls in November 1958, and then the most important precedent for Bill, it was Certainteed of January 61. So uh, that's almost 50 years of history right there uh, in six precedents. The point being that this is a rare chart, uh, rare chart pattern in which you see a hundred to one hundred twenty percent gain, usually from a breakout point in mm -hmm. about four to eight weeks, followed by a very mild pullback of ten percent to twenty five percent, but generally between between ten to nineteen percent over one or two, three or four weeks. That produces the uh, the flag, the 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 big hundred percent plus move produces the flagpole, and you can see it right there on. Syntex's weekly chart. Uh, you can see too that there was only one down week. So the stock didn't want to take a break very long. Uh, you bought, you buy as, as soon as it clears the top of that flag. And then mm -hmm. there's another note there from Bill, stock up more than 20% in less than three weeks, must hold for eight full weeks. And the reason was he got shaken out of certainty during a 10% plus pullback after it came out of a, you know, a strong base and ran, ran up 20% in three weeks or less. And he saw certainty go up without him. So he took note of that, used that as a rule that he wrote down and then applied that to, uh, to syntax. Yeah, Dave. And regarding the high tight flag, just to, uh, emphasize the point here with that, or one of the points here with that. So this too, like Chrysler, was coming out of a bear market, mm -hmm. early stages of a bull. We got that strong move up. So that seems very applicable for traders in today's market. We are 
we have come out of a bear market. We're in the early stages of a bull market here, or at least a very strong rally that we've seen over the last uh, number of weeks here, month plus, and stocks are getting extended, but they could be setting up new potential entries in a matter of weeks, right? Oh, exactly. That's right. So uh, you want to look for follow-on entries. In the case of Syntex, this was a very, very rare high tie flag emerging out of a very deep base uh, after that difficult 1962 bear market. And, you know, when I looked closely at Bill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, and I looked at some of the examples, in fact, I found one Zenith, uh, the, the color TV maker. Its high tie flag was very different from Syntex or from Taser uh, or from Qualcomm or from Tesla. It didn't actually rise 100% as far as I could tell. I mean, um, it, it was less than that, but it was close, maybe 80, 90%. And then uh, it pulled back very, very uh, mildly, though, too. Sometimes you're going to have a stock, even in today's market, that doesn't fully meet the letter of the law, but it meets the spirit of the law. So you want to make sure that you have that kind of open-mindedness too, especially if you see that the stock has incredible relative strength uh, and is already hitting new highs while others are uh, sort of trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. Another point to make here, I think, is about how this respected the 10-week moving average yes. along yes. its big run, which is another sign of true leadership for a stock. Totally right. You know, we've got that uh, arrow uh, looking at the shakeout find support at the 10-week line. And one of the key rules that we have uh, is that you can add shares to a, a primary position or even start your position on the first or second pullback to the 10-week line. But it's important that the market is in the early stages of a bull run. Uh, also, I, I found uh, I have a, a very old book called How to Use Data Graphs. These are the uh, data graph product that Bill sold to institutional uh, investors uh, as research, how to use data graphs to make better stock market decisions. Uh, as he described why Syntex was a model stock for him, uh, I want to highlight uh, what, he, what he commented. He's just going to read straight from the book here, but he said, almost all institutions missed Syntex during its period of greatest advance. Stock was selling already near an all-time high and obviously appears too expensive. P.E. ratio too high, risky foreign cor corporation, uh, a rumor that women get breast cancer from the pill. Ten years later, ten years later after this move, 80 mutual funds and banks own the company. And you can see, you know, this was uh, a marvelous 451 percent move in 26 weeks. He sold at the top because he wanted to wait long enough uh, for the long-term capital gains tax to kick in, which was at the time six months, not a year. And you can see at that as that happened, at the very top alley, you have a mm -hmm. sell signal called a climax top. That happens when you have a gain of 25 to 50% over roughly one to two weeks after a, a big run. And the climax run usually happens 18 weeks or longer after the breakout. So uh, clearly you have to, I mean, another example, uh, another lesson from Syntex is, you know, find the right buy point and entry point, but also be ready to uh, identify uh, that climax top and when to get out to, to you know, secure your profits. Very well said there. All right, let's move on. And we were initially going to be taking a look at pick and save, but we're going to be looking at Price Club instead as our example. And as I pull up the chart, Dave, can you first talk about, because I mean, these are two uh, retail names here and retail... Yeah was an area where Bill O'Neill found a lot of great trade ideas. Exactly. Uh, with the help of Pick and Save and Price Club, the profits, which was in the millions of dollars back in, uh, you know, three, four decades ago, uh, Bill got the capital in order to find, uh, in order to fund uh, the start of the newspaper, Investors Business Daily, in 1984. Uh, we're going to come in, uh, coming close to 40 years now with that newspaper and, and its related products. Uh, and here again, uh, among the seven principles, inv in invest in what you know and, and, and can uh, experience and feel. And so uh, the founder of Price Club sold Price. His family immigrated from Europe, initially to New York area. Then they moved to San Diego because uh, Sol Price's father had tuberculosis. 
Uh, the doctor recommended go to a warmer climate. So that's how they landed in San Diego. And uh, Sol was very well educated. He had a PhD. He had a, a, a bachelor's degree in philosophy, I believe. He started uh, in retail uh, and was very successful in discount retail. Eventually got uh, pushed out of a company called FedMart, which uh, was a discount retailer that served the federal employee market. Well, he uh, came back and started his own uh, price club company in uh, 1975 with one store in San Diego. And uh, he really revolutionized, uh, I guess, uh, sales and retail sales. He basically uh, sold brand, brand name goods at wholesale prices, cutting out the middleman. Uh, the first customers were small businesses, later federal employees, credit union employees. And then in the 1980s, he, you know, Price Club, Soul Price was the first to open these kind of warehouse type, type of stores to the retail audience. Um, that, you know, happened in the early 80s. And now today we have hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars of warehouse club type of sales. Um, what also made Soul Price and Price Club uh, unique was that um, the stores only had, they had fewer than 3,000 items, not 25,000 or more like other stores. Company kept costs low uh, by using word of mouth for advertising. Uh, and uh, you also didn't have any uh, storage costs because they got the goods from manufacturers and directly put them into those stores, which were basically warehouses. So uh, birth of an incredible company, 417% gain in 60 weeks. Uh, the initial uh, breakout point, as you can see, was really a double bottom base with a little handle. That handle was a little bit, was perhaps long enough to be kind of a base on its own. Uh, the price at that breakout was uh, a lot higher than what you see. Uh, this is accounting for at least two uh, stock splits. So please keep that in mind. Uh, and also, Ali, uh, why don't we look, point out that uh, turquoise line, you know, that relative strength line. I mean, that that was really uh, incredible, uh, right below uh, mm -hmm. the, sure. the chart. Yeah, the, the, the Sorry, I was unmuting chart. myself. Go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, you can see that uh, while the stock made that base, that double bottom with two lows, and then a breakout point near, you know, nine and a half dollars on a split adjusted basis, that relative strength line was rising. And what that meant is that Price Club was uh, outperforming the general market, the S&P 500. And as it broke out, it just kept going and kept going and kept going. So uh, the lessons that we can get from Price Club is uh, one, you know, here as a relatively new company, but a great manager uh, who really uh, uh, revolutionized, innovated. Uh, two, you know, you want to buy early. You want to buy those uh, these companies in the early stage of its uh, overall cycle. And Bill O'Neill was fortunate, you know, living in Los Angeles after coming from Oklahoma, going to school in Texas at SMU, serving uh, in the Air Force in Alaska, he eventually decided to live and work in L.A. Well, uh, San Diego was a good place to, you know, investigate what's going on. It's interesting and new. Uh, and, you know, that that this was such an important for your investment. But he later said uh, during seminars that he should have kept watching the stock. Uh, because eventually uh, Price Club made an even bigger move through the uh, merger with, uh, with another company that became Costco. Costco, you know, uh, we don't have time today, but if you look at a monthly chart of Costco, you'd be wowed by uh, the magnificent uh, uh, performance of that, yeah, mm -hmm. of that stock there. So right. uh, he would say, you know, always uh, be humble enough to look for that new opportunity in the same area, even though you've had a big success, maybe you can capitalize even more uh, based on your positive experience uh, in a company like from Price Club to Costco. Mm -hmm. Next, let's take a look at Amgen. Mm -hmm. This is another big winner. And I'm trying to make sure I have the right one first, because we have two charts here. I believe this is the correct one, Dave. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Perfect. This is uh, showing the early move, a company that uh, uh, was was founded uh, in, in, in the early uh, 80s and then went public, as you can see. Uh, you know, it, it came about during uh, the golden age of uh, biotech is when, you know, Genentech came out and recombinant DNA uh, became uh, a, a big thing. 
uh, George Rathman uh, was the co-founder of this company. He was a humble uh, servant to his employees. He worked from a trailer so that his scientists would have more space in which to uh, innovate. You know, incredibly, Ali, as everyone knows, maybe everyone, most people know that Amgen is famous as a biotech uh, providing therapeutics, but its initial uh, mission was actually trying to find uh, some real industrial applications to recombinant DNA, you know, kind of a, uh, uh, adjusting, modifying, splicing genes uh, within the human genome. And initially, they, they looked for solutions to extract oil from shale. Amgen tried to grow, uh, find a way to help uh, chickens grow faster. Uh, and they even tried to produce indigo, eye, uh, indigo dye from E. coli. They eventually discovered that, well, you know what, maybe uh, this technology can have some uh, medical therapeutic uh, uh, benefits. And eventually, with a strong uh, you know, uh, research team, uh, they came upon, uh, they came upon uh, cloning the erythropoietin gene, uh, and that led to Epigen, their first major product in 1983. So this is before the stock uh, made this this giant move and breaking out of all those bases. Uh, mm -hmm. This is the, so revolutionary, it helped cancer patients uh, dealing with chemotherapy uh, because uh, uh, those patients had uh, low red blood cell count. Uh, you know, uh, Epigen helped solve that problem. Later, two years later, they came up with Nupigen uh, to address uh, patients who had very low white blood cell counts. Um, FDA approved Nupigen in 1991, and it became product of the year, according to Fortune magazine, uh, that same year. 1992, $1 billion in total sales. And then in January of 2nd, 1992, uh, joined the S&P 500. Before that happened, obviously, we can see that the stock uh, was an early new company, uh, early, you know, early innovator in biotech, uh, produced uh, a lot of these big uh, breakouts. Um, and that initial run uh, was a 681% gain over just under two years, 96 weeks. So up 681%, 96 weeks. Uh, and uh, here again, you have a company that was also benefiting from a huge tailwind, which was uh, the start of a secular bull market uh, after uh, the, the, the government was able to, with the help of the Fed, uh, conquer inflation. The market turned in August 1982. You have more IPOs coming out. Uh, Applied Molecular Genetics, or Amgen, uh, also uh, went public. Uh, there was extreme uh, uh, interest among venture capital firms to find these uh, new companies and make them public. Amgen was one of them. Uh, and so uh, you can see that, yeah, there, there were some very, very big drops, uh, but uh, it goes to show how important it is to uh, buy uh, these companies early in their run because you can see the pullbacks uh, were, were generally a lot tamer. Absolutely. And we have another Amgen screen that we want to show from this stock a little bit later on in the move. So here you can see the progression of the stock about a, you know, third of the way in from the left side is what we were showing previously. It went sideways for a little yes. while, Dave, but mm -hmm. then it started taking off again. So maybe if traders didn't catch that early move, they could have gotten other opportunities to get in. Absolutely, uh, you know, uh, it went sideways, and and before that, it it really had a a big drop. Look at 1987, right? Black Monday, October uh, 87. Uh, well, Amgen was not even immune to that uh, crisis, uh, which uh, you know was was actually short lived, and the market soon hit new highs uh, relatively soon afterwards, uh, but. Yeah, I mean, the, to go from a split adjusted price in the high sevens to uh, the, the high twos, I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a tough uh, tough time for the market. But it, it goes to show that the stocks that have the greatest fundamentals and uh, the greatest products and the support of institutional investors can make their, make their way back. And notice from the, in the late 80s, and we're going to look at eBay in the same way, after that shock in the market, uh, the stock continued to actually trade more tightly, form uh, you know bases with uh, lighter corrections from the high to low, and eventually start hitting new highs, trend higher, 
moving averages up, relative strength line going up, new products come in, growth is sustained at double and tri triple digit growth. Uh, all of those things have to really work together in order to find these kind of Bill O'Neill uh, type big winners. Mm -hmm. And I and speaking of eBay, I want to leave us enough time to go over that one. So let's pivot to eBay. Yeah. How does it sound, Dave? Oh, okay. absolutely. You know, uh, I'll be very brief because I know we're we're a little bit limited on time. Uh, just quick, uh, a few points. eBay uh, started by Pierre Omidyar in 1995. It was originally called Auction Web. Seven years seven years later, it became uh, the number one e-commerce site uh, in the world partly due to mergers, partly because of its acquisition of PayPal. Uh, and the stock had a 282% gain uh, in 114 weeks from the breakout. Now, this is a crazy looking chart here. Uh, yeah, but... <laughs> for those who aren't looking at what we're looking at, this is just uh, sort of showing you inside the mind of Bill O'Neill with all of the annotations that he liked to make, pointing out uh, various fundamental and technical aspects that he found notable exactly uh here again we could have spent the whole webinar on just this chart alone uh but you know from the right hand panel or right hand side of the chart after ebay had this huge decline amid the 79 percent bear market decline of the nasdaq ebay eventually formed a double bottom base broke out in the in the mid 60s uh this was in late october 2002 uh, many people might remember that the, the bull market really started going in March 2003. But sometimes you're going to have these companies that break out ahead of the real bull market. Uh, Zoom Video is a good example. It actually broke out a couple weeks before the market bottomed in March, early March of 2020. Uh, so here, uh, here, you know, you have a lot of uh, details regarding the earnings growth at running at triple digit, uh, sales growth also at high double digit uh, before the move started uh, in, in eBay. Um, you have a company that already had a record of, of great growth, uh, great management uh, through Meg Whitman. And the very bottom, uh, above, uh, very bottom part below all the fundamental data on a quarterly basis, you have the number. Uh, uh, examples of all these uh, top performing mutual funds that establish new positions in the stock over time and continue to build upon these these uh, new positions. So, uh, you know, I, I wish we had a little more time to really get into the nitty gritty of this chart. But here again, I hope people can maybe take a snapshot of it and notice that mm -hmm. uh, there were multiple buy points. Um, after that breakout so you know always give yourself a chance uh, the, you know don't let pride get in the way if you didn't get it at that initial breakout mm -hmm. there was a three weeks tight there was the base on base uh there was a 10-week moving average bounce uh these are all uh signals and rules that we've developed over the years and write about on a on a near day, daily basis um and as i said it it, it took a while 114 weeks but uh, uh possibly game-changing kind of gain uh, if you have a concentrated position. So, you know, if you only have 1% of your stock, uh, your portfolio in something like eBay, even if it triples, it's not going to make an overall impact. That's why we, we really suggest, you know, preparing for these kind of future winners um, at the start of big moves by, uh, you know, examining, researching, looking at all the details, noticing the stock is stronger than most and poised to possibly even get stronger. Well said, Dave. Before we wrap, we do want to get to a couple of audience questions. So let's go there. Greg is asking us to cover Bill's theory and practice of focusing dollars on his winners, exactly what you're saying, that concentration, making sure uh, that if you have a, a big winner, it's, it's going to move the needle in your portfolio. Greg is saying this seems to me like a high risk strategy, but likely a necessary mm -hmm. one for significant gains. What's your take? Yeah, uh, Greg is, is right. Uh, there, there's high risk only if you uh, don't limit your losses. And we have our 7% loss rule. And it doesn't matter what's the share price of the stock. It doesn't matter what's the size of that stock in your portfolio. If it's trading at 1000 or if it's trading at $10 a share, we still use the 7% loss rule because it's much easier to recover that 7% loss 
with a 7.7% gain in the next stock. But if you take a 50% loss uh, in a 10,000 investment, you're down from 10K to 5K. Well, you need a 100% gain uh, in a stock to break, go back to break even. That's a lot harder to do. So it's really, uh, it's not the uh, share price. It's not, um, uh, it, it's all about uh, the size of your position and how well it's performing as soon as you buy it. You can always also sell more quickly if you sense that it's really breaking your expectation of a big move. Yeah, risk management, so critical. And Sinclair is asking, how did William O'Neill scan for movers? What was uh, his go-to way to, to find the stocks that he should be buying when they're breaking out? We have some articles that uh, detail how Bill started his business. And one of the keys was embracing technology using an IBM, IBM mainframe in the early 60s to accumulate all the data that you see, for instance, in this eBay chart. It was not just the price and volume, but it was the fundamentals, return on equity, profit margins, uh, the stock's industry group. We have 197 industry groups, and you're going to have more success if you buy those stocks in the top industry groups, not in the bottom industry groups. Uh, also, fund ownership. So uh, over time, he sold these data graphs, which is a great example you see right now with eBay, uh, and just kept accumulating over decades, uh, this information. Before that, he also uh, looked at the best performing fund managers and looked at their holdings and, and their buys and sells and were, was able to, to, term, to, to determine these uh, entry points and the key fundamental principles. Yes. Also, Ken is asking, how have things changed now that Bill's secrets are known to so many? hasn't changed that much, frankly. I think the speed of the markets is faster, right? Uh, as an example, uh, on the IBD Live show, we talk a lot about great stocks that uh, find support at the 21-day uh, exponential moving average, which is uh, a measure of the action over 21 days. It used to be that I think uh, a lot of buy points were uh, more at the 50-day or the 10-week moving average. Uh, at the same time, there are many people who uh, don't want to buy a stock when it's at or near highs or at a high uh, price to earnings ratio because they, they just don't believe that there's any room to grow. Well, we, we find that the market still is run on uh, principles of earnings and fundamentals and also uh, greed and fear. And, uh, you know, these, these stocks have a lot of momentum. You have to just appreciate and understand that uh, that's also a profit opportunity. Julie is asking or you know, wanting feedback on something she gets confused about. Uh, at IBD, we often say, don't chase an extended stock. You'll have plenty of opportunities to get in if it forms another base pattern with the other thought of getting in heavy on that initial breakout is by far the best. And the later stage bases that you get are decreasingly positive. Mm -hmm. What's your yes. feedback for Julie? Well, I, I think those are two two great points. One is if you buy a stock way above that initial breakout, uh, it, eventually uh, the stock is going to succumb to some profit taking. And you could see even among many stocks, a 20% gain uh, go, go to break even. And you just don't want to be caught at the top of that little mini cycle. So uh, we really hope that you just brought by as close as possible to that point where there's an obvious shift from supply for the stock and demand. Demand is coming in strong, volume is heavy, price price action is great. Um, and in, in order to do that, uh, it's really uh, it's really important to kind of uh, stay in step with the market, kind of be ahead of the curve because a lot of people are still uh, disbelieving uh, the current trend of the market. Watch the follow through day, we write about that uh, frequently and uh, you know, that's had a really good track record over the past century, noting those major market turns. Yes. And there are so many great questions. I wish we had time to answer all of them, but make sure you follow Dave and I on Twitter uh, at Saito Chung and at Alyssa Corum uh, to interact with us if you have more follow-up questions. But last one here, Carrie is asking about Bill's pyramiding. How did he pyramid into a rising stock? How much 
how many times and bill really was uh the master of trading around a core position <laughs> he was uh he came very close to a five percent holding in pick and save back in the uh you know 60s and 70s and uh in a workshop he detailed uh on a weekly chart all his buys and sells and buys and sells but he kept a core position which was close to the original breakout point so you know yes you can manage your position uh, around the fringes but it's still very important to make sure decide one how much of my portfolio am i willing to put in a potential leader is it one tenth is it one eighth of my portfolio one sixth even uh and then uh make sure it doesn't fall seven percent let it let it rise some and then from there we look for those follow-on entry points. So a new base, a base on base, a pullback to that 10-week moving average. Uh, those are uh, the, the major keys. Always uh, when you pyramid up that you buy a smaller amount of, uh, you put a smaller amount of money um, uh, versus the initial uh, uh, investment because you don't want your overall average cost to rise too quickly. And uh, you don't want a top-heavy type of uh uh, investment. You want a pyramiding investment where the very last buy is the smallest chunk um, uh, of of your overall investment, and it can depend on you know the the type of the stock. Some some stocks will move much much faster, so you might have to pyramid faster. Mm -hmm. Well said there, Dave. And just a quick little disclaimer at the end, we usually do this at the beginning of IBD Live, but I uh, didn't get to sneak it in at the beginning. But just a reminder that IBD does not provide any individualized or personal investment advice. Uh, so we're not making recommendations for individuals and make sure to do your own research uh, when making any buy and sell decisions. But with that, we will conclude for today. Dave, thank you so much for providing such great insights to our audience and detailing some of Bill O'Neill's big winners and his secrets to success today. Uh, I'm so so happy to to be a part of today's discussion, Ali. It, it, it's incredible. It's been 45 minutes or more, and it felt like five minutes. So I, 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 I hope uh, hope we uh, uh, gave gave a lot uh, to to think about. Yes. Hope everyone enjoyed it. Thanks so much, everyone, for watching. That is it for today. And Barron's Live is going to be off on Monday in observance of Juneteenth. It is a stock market holiday, uh, but make sure you join the crew on Tuesday for the first day of Barron's AI series. Associate Editor for Technology, Eric Savitz, and former Microsoft COO and Snowflake CEO, Bob Muglia, will discuss the future of AI and what happens next. That's sure to be a good one. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Hope you have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.